I want to do something a little different. By the way, my name's Pastor Justin. If you're new here, I'm the lead pastor here at New Heights Church, and I want to thank you for being here. I also want to give a quick greeting to all those who are joining online. And what we normally do at New Heights Church is we love the Bible, and we preach verse by verse uh, through different books of the Bible because we believe that Jesus Christ is the authority here. And the way he exercises that authority is through his word. So the best thing that we could do for you is preach God's word. The last few weeks, uh, God has been working on my, my heart. And so I'm going to do things a little different. We're not going to start the book of Acts. Don't worry. We're going to start next week. We're going to jump in. I, I can't wait. The book of Acts is one of the most amazing books in the Bible. And I can't wait to unpack it with you guys. But God has been doing something in in your pastor's heart, and I just can't escape it. So, you know, it's not, it's not like me usually to do this. The Lord, I changed my sermon last night, and I've, I don't know if I've really ever done that. Maybe, maybe I have in the past, but that's not, that's not like me at all. I usually put about 25 hours, and that's, that's the truth, about 25 hours of work into preparing a sermon each week. And so when the Holy Spirit's challenging me to do something and it's the night before, that always makes me a little nervous. And so today I'm being stretched by the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and I'm going to preach this message, okay? Now, we're jumping <laughs> Well, let me let me start out by saying kind of I've been honest with you about my journey the last maybe 2 months. I I've told you and shared with many of you one-on-one that I I've, in many ways have feel like I've had this, I don't want to call it awakening, but I like to call it a renewal because I've known Jesus from the time I was just a little boy. In fact, the first time I accepted Jesus where I truly understood what I was doing, I was in kindergarten at five years old, sitting in my grandpa's lap, and I knew, I knew, I didn't know all, all there was to salvation, but I very much knew what I was doing by making a commitment to Jesus Christ. And I've faithfully followed and served Jesus from the time I was five and have experienced his blessings um, that come with being a Christ follower. Amen? When I was in, growing up, I was diagnosed with uh, ADHE or attention deficit disorder, and then I struggled with different anxiety disorders. And so, and I I was diagnosed with uh, an obsessive um, compulsive disorder too. So you mix all those together, it's a perfect storm for a mom and dad. And I was quite uh, quite a handful. And so I remember growing up, those those I had to have everything in order, which is probably why I love expository preaching because it it allows me, it gives me a path to follow. If I don't have that, sometimes I jump all over and I'm. I, I just go all over. But I, I liked my life in order. And then at 14 years old, my father was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And all of a sudden, it was like everything was out of control for me. And so as a, a young 14-year-old trying to wrestle with his faith and trying to wrestle with feelings and emotions and all of those things that you struggle with, I, I became to the point where I was uh, suicidal in my own life. And I thought that was the only answer. That was the only step. I couldn't control things. And because I couldn't control things, I, I didn't know how to function. And so was, I became a mess. And, and the Lord began to work with me. But that was, that was when I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to talk about today is, is the power of the Holy Spirit and this desperation in, in prayer. Because we're getting, we're getting close to our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And as your pastor, I do pray for you guys. I have a list of every single name in our church. If you're in the data 
database, I have your name and I pray for you. And there are many of you who let me know your personal requests. And sometimes there's times in my life where I'm praying for you guys and I'm overwhelmed with some of the situations that you face. We have people in our own community who are facing things that nobody should ever have to face. You're experiencing loss and addiction and broken marriages and there's, there's all these real issues that you guys are facing. And I, I want you to know that Liz and I, we, we pray for you guys. We're burdened for you, we pray for you. I think in the last six weeks, I've been on this journey where I've had this renewal with the Holy Spirit. Um, I've always been Pentecostal, but I've to- I told you the story a couple weeks ago with one of my mentors saying, Justin, get back to your roots. <laughs> get back to the power of the Holy Spirit. Less of you, more of the Holy Spirit. And it's like the Holy Spirit's been taking me on this journey, a humbling journey, but sometimes being humbled is really good, isn't it? When you realize how little you can do, actually nothing that you're able to do apart from Jesus Christ. And as I, as I look at these prayer requests, it reminds me why I went into the ministry. At 19 years old, I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. I remember sitting in a Bible college in Lisbon, Portugal. I was interning with Book of Hope, and I had a phone card. That was back in the day. You know, no Facebook, FaceTime, none of that. And I called my grandpa on my on my phone card, and I remember him praying for me over the phone, and I remember experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was, it was like something I had never experienced before, and from that day forward, I was, I was different. Not, not that I didn't struggle with depression and anxiety. I still struggle with all of those things, but th- that day I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and learned how to depend on the Holy Spirit. And my life has been changed ever since. And at at 19 years old, I, I wanted to go into ministry. I went to Central Bible College and studied at Central Bible College. In fact, we've got a, a guest here that I just saw, but a student I went to school with, Ryan Hansen, is in the house from Washington State. He went to Central Bible. I think we graduated the same year, but this is Regina Hansen's grandson. And uh, Ryan, it's an honor to have you here, man. Welcome to Cincinnati. We went to CBC together. It's good to see you. And so... At Central Bible College, I was introduced to verse-by-verse preaching through the ministry of James River. Uh, it was the James River Assembly of God, Pastor John Lindell. And it, that was, it was just amazing because the power of the Holy Spirit combined with the truth of God's word is just, it's incredible, isn't it? And so I went into ministry and I wanted to be, I wanted to help people find freedom. Because life is real. We, we deal with real issues. And I didn't want to just pastor a church um, because I looked at it as a career. I wanted to go into ministry because I wanted to help people find that freedom that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wanted them to find that grace and that mercy. And so as I've been praying over some of the needs in this church, it's brought me back to this desperation for a move of the Holy Spirit. For a move of the Holy Spirit. The Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal denomination we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe the gifts are for today. And I grew up uh, hearing the stories of my father. I grew up hearing the stories of my grandpa. My grandpa grew up as a missionary kid in China during World War II. They didn't get out, and he was put in a concentration camp. And I got to hear about these miraculous stories of the power of the Holy Spirit uh, while he was in that concentration camp. Then my great-great-grandpa, the stories he would share. I mean, I've, we've heard of these incredible moves of the Holy Spirit, and I want my generation 
to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I want, I want the people in this church to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their own life, in their own circumstance, in their own situation, what they're facing. I want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we've always done 21 days of prayer and fasting. But, but this, this year, I, 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 we're going to be very intentional and very focused. And so I want to preach on, on prayer today. And I'm going to do it very different. You've probably never heard me do a topical message, but I, I think this is going to be more of a topical, this, the closest to a topical message you'll ever hear me preach. But we're going to still look at a passage, and we're going to talk about this passage. And then I want to close the, it's going to be a very unique sermon. It's not going to be very long. Did you hear me? <laughs> it's not going to be very long because I want to do something at the end of it. I want to leave a time for prayer, and I've been throwing my staff for a loop because every five minutes I've been changing it on him. Even Enos, I, I went in here and I said, Enos, I'm not going to do communion. Um, he says, well, I don't have anything ready. I said, I need you to do, do communion today and do it before. Do it before. I'm not going to close with communion. I had written it into the sermon. He says, well, i got to tell Stephen. So he texts Stephen, and he's telling Stephen, nod at me if you're getting this. And so this is, we've been throwing curveballs right and left. Give it up for my staff, because they're amazing. They roll with uh, all the changes. Let's open in prayer first. Lord, we are excited to be here today. And God, I just pray that you would speak to us today. I pray your hand of blessing to overcome the limitations of this teacher today, this preacher. And perhaps some of our own distractions that we have come in with. God, it really does take a sovereign work of God to get a message through to human beings in a way that changes their lives. And so that can't be done apart from your Holy Spirit. And so we invite your Holy Spirit to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we, I was going to preach on prayer today because Liz and I are, are calling the church to prayer and fasting, 21 days of prayer and fasting, and that's going to start on uh, the 8th, it's going to go all the way through the 28th, and we're extremely excited about this, because fasting does something. Fasting does something, right? Does something in the church. You've heard us say this so many times from the pulpit, prayer is not what just, it's not just what fuel for the ministry, it is the ministry. We've, Hudson Taylor, a great missionary to China, said, it's possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Ian Bounds, who wrote so many great books on prayer, said this, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. And Billy Graham once said, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. And yet, we hear this, we know of the power of prayer, and yet prayer is one of the most neglected spiritual habits of followers of Jesus Christ. According to George Barna, the most time that uh, believers spend in prayer is actually over food, over a meal. We've heard things like God doesn't speak like he used to speak. Have you, have you heard that? You ever heard people say God just doesn't speak like he used to speak? Not when, not when I was young, not in the church I grew up in. Well, somebody said that and a lady overheard it and she said, pardon me, perhaps it's because most people don't listen like they used to listen. I think both are true. Certainly God doesn't speak like he did in the Old Testament or even through the apostles in the New Testament in the sense that there, there's now written revelations given to us today. Um, but I also think that in our fast-paced society, we don't take nearly the time that our predecessors took in listening to God and talking to God. 
I was amazed when I studied at Central Bible College getting to go in and looking at the archives there in Springfield, Missouri. And if you go in the archives, you can read the minutes from uh, different general councils. And I was always amazed to see the amount of time that was spent in prayer in the early days compared to the time that we spend in prayer today. It just shocked me. Um, How many of you have ever seen the movie Castaway? Starring Tom Hanks. Love this movie. Uh, It's about a, well, a castaway. That's why they call it Castaway. Tom Hanks plays the part of a guy named Chuck Nolan. Chuck Nolan's this fast-paced, busy FedEx executive, and his plane that's carrying a bunch of packages goes down somewhere over the South Pacific, and he becomes stranded on this island. He has to learn to survive, um, and people need fires to survive, so he's got to figure out how to light a fire. And in doing so, he cuts his hand, and it's bleeding, and out of frustration, he grabs this Wilson volleyball uh, that was a part of the packages, and he throws it as hard as he can. Well, later in the movie, he, he goes and he picks up this volleyball, and he sees that his bloody handprint was left on the volleyball, and so he gives it uh, some eyes and a mouth. He gives this, this what looked like kind of a firehead a face. And all of a sudden, he becomes emotionally attached to this volleyball, gives it a name. Of course, he calls it Wilson. And him and Wilson, he talks to Wilson every day on this island. He pours his heart out to Wilson. And when, when he finally decides to escape and he's created his little boat or whatever raft that's going to take him out, he loses Wilson. And it's one of the most emotional scenes of the movie. He is sobbing. He is crying because he lost Wilson, the volleyball, who is his only friend. And here's what's so crazy. Not once in the entire movie does Tom Hanks' character ever pray to God. Not even once. He talks to a volleyball, but he never talks to God. And I don't think it's so far-fetched either that we, we as people, we, we might just do the same. So many times we're so willing to talk to friends, counselors, some even talk to the deceased, some will even pray to the deceased, but we find it so hard to talk with God. And I want New Heights Church to spend 21 days of being intentional about talking with God. That's why we're focusing on prayer and fasting in the month of January. I want us to talk to God. Pastor John Lindell, who I referenced before, pastors in Ozark, Missouri, here's, here's what he said, and it's a long quote. So, But this is, I, I loved it so much, I didn't want to change any of it. Here's what he said about why we fast. There's this dynamic that when we fast as a church, miracles happen. Strongholds are broken. God liberates us. God refocuses us. And we realize his power in our lives in a whole new way. Fasting, he goes on to say, is, say Going without food. Seeking God is a hunger strike against hell. Fasting causes us to seek and see vertical solutions to horizontal situations. Fasting will fast track your prayers. Fasting will break the yoke of bondage. Fasting will release God's power and bring about supernatural results. Fasting will bring divine wisdom to life's perplexing problems. Fasting will humble our hearts and recalibrate our life that we might walk in new awareness of God's divine purpose in our life. Fasting brings about supernatural protection and miraculous provision. Fasting will give you favor with people. Fasting brings heaven's answer and hell's defeat. Fasting makes a big difference. Thank you. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians. We're going to kind of look at the the whole chapter, but I want to read this real quick. 
1 Corinthians, we're going to look at verses 10 through 16 to start with. It says, These things that God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit, searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So all all throughout this, we see the Spirit over and over and over again. It's the theme for Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's constantly contrasting the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, and the Spirit of the world and the Spirit of God. And when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's talking about how the Spirit of God reveals the deep things of God and who God is. Powerful passage. In fact, but here's what I want to do because we really should have started uh, in verse 6. So I'm going to take you back to verse 6 because I want you to see what Paul said before he he got on the topic we're going to talk about today. He says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, Paul's quoting from the Old Testament here. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64. And whenever we see the New Testament being quoted, or the New Testament quoting the Old Testament, we need to pause. We need to go back to the Old Testament. We need to see what he's quoting. So I'm going to take you back to Isaiah 64. And before I do that, I want you to know the context here is that God is speaking to his people when they were going through a very difficult time. In fact, it was a time of discipline. And they felt very distant from God because of their sin. And they're longing, Isaiah is about to say, they're, they're longing to see the glory of God. And I want you to hear what he says. So we'll start in, in verse 1, Isaiah 64. Verse 1, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. This is what... Paul's quoting, No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Now, what they're doing is they're remembering back to Exodus, okay? You remember when God brought his people out of slavery um, in Egypt? He brought them to Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai, God revealed himself at that mountain, and, and he revealed himself in a consuming fire. So the picture here is, if you can imagine it, there's there's smoke billowing up from the mountain. All the people, they're scared to even get near the mountain. And they're seeing the glory of God revealed on the mountain. Now in Isaiah, they're, they're calling out 
you did awesome things we didn't expect. You came down, the mountains uh, trembled, we trembled before you, and, and they're asking again, we want to see the glory of God. We want to see it. He says, people have longed to see you revealed in all your glory. And so it's that verse that Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians when he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But then when you get to verse 10 in 1 Corinthians, when you go back to, to Paul, when you get to verse 10, he says, well, it's not in there, so I'm gonna read it right here. He says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Did you catch that? Do you understand how powerful that statement is? What the people in the Old Testament longed to see was a manifestation of God's glory. And Paul says here in the New Testament that God has revealed these things to us by his spirit. Contrast that. They longed for it. They wanted it. We have it revealed to us by his spirit. Powerful, powerful statement in the Bible. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Important to know as we head into 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I told you this is going to be quick because I want to do something special at the end. But here's the first thing. Only the Spirit of God knows the fullness of the glory of God. All right? That's what 1 Corinthians 2 is, is all about. The Spirit searches all things. Even the deep things is what Paul says. And then he uses the comparison. Who knows a man except for the spirit within the man? Who knows God except for the spirit of God? Only the spirit of God knows the fullness of the glory of God. You and I don't realize the fullness of God's glory. The spirit knows the fullness of God's glory. We need to understand that. Only the spirit of God knows the fullness of God's glory. Number two, if we want to know God, then we need the spirit to reveal him to us. Makes sense, right? Based on this truth, if we want to know the fullness of God's glory, then who needs to show it to us? We need the Holy Spirit to do that. For anyone who wants to know the fullness of God's glory, they need the Holy Spirit of God to show them the fullness of God. And that leads to the third truth. Here it is. A people who are desperate to know God will be desperate for his spirit. People who are desperate to know God will be desperate for his spirit. That makes sense, right? If the Spirit's the only one who knows the fullness of God's glory, then anybody who wants to know the fullness of God's glory is going to be desperate for the Holy Spirit. Because only the Holy Spirit can show you the fullness of his glory. So a people who want to know God, they're automatically a people who are desperate for the Spirit. That means that a people that's not desperate for the Spirit are people who are not desperate to see God's glory. If we're not desperate for his spirit, it means we're, not, we're, we're, we're content not knowing his glory. Are you desperate for the spirit? I mean it. Are you really desperate for the Holy Spirit? There's something about desperation that changes us. It takes a, a usually a very cautious person and it makes him or her do incredible risky things, right? It takes a generally timid person and it gives them audacious courage. That's what desperation does. And, and we as Americans, we really tend to avoid desperation. It's not really who we are. We don't like it. We don't like the whole idea of desperation. We don't want to come across as desperate. We're the type of people who say, man, we can do anything. How many times have you heard growing up, you can do anything you put your mind to? Yeah, that is a lie, let me tell you, because I had determined I was going to be an NBA player. 
And I, I put my mind to it, okay? I really did. The problem was in the seventh grade, everybody else kept growing and I didn't. And I didn't make it in the NBA. Can you imagine me trying to play LeBron James? But I put my mind to it. Just didn't do it. But we're the, we're the can-do people in America. In fact, it's actually in our name. America can. Come on, right? We are can-do kind of people. We believe that with enough time, energy, and talent, we can solve our own problems. We love do-it-yourself projects. How many of you guys love DIY projects? Come on. Yeah. I love those too. The problem is every time I do a, a do-it-yourself project, I've Googled it or I've looked it up on YouTube, and I'm pretty proud of what I've done. Liz has to call in the professional to fix what I've done. <laughs> she hates do-it-yourself projects, but I love it. Now, being do-it-yourself kind of people, that's, that's good, but when you're dealing with a God who says, apart from me, you can do nothing, well, then the do-it-yourself attitude, can, that can be pretty dangerous. In fact, that could be deadly. One of the biggest hindrances to our prayers is our failure to recognize how utterly desperate we are for God's help. I love how Paul Miller says it in his book, A Praying Life. He puts it like this. If you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy to pray. But if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find the time. Now, I believe New Heights Church as a, as a whole needs to become a people who are desperate for the Spirit of God. I never want us to be a church that grows content with knowing uh, little about God's glory. And I want us to be a church that's desperate to see and to know and to experience the glory of God. There's, this, there's a reason why when Jesus was teaching about prayer, he says, ask your Father and he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Ask him, cry out for the Spirit, be desperate for the Spirit, and you'll have the Spirit of God infusing you, working throughout you in your life and in your church. And when you look in the New Testament, everything we have or everything we need as followers of Jesus Christ, it's dependent on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who saves us. Now, all you theologians out there, I'm theologically correct in saying that, okay? I know that our salvation, it's based on the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but it's the Spirit of God who opens our eyes to see his salvation draws us to the glory of God. It's the Spirit who does that. So my prayer as your pastor is that we never, never become a people that are so caught up in the traditions of church, the mechanics of church, the programs of church, the plans of church, the routines of church, that it's possible for us to go year after year after year not experiencing the glory of God. It's the Spirit of God who saves us. It's, it's the, the, he's the one who searches our hearts. In fact, the analogy that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 2, who knows the man but the spirit of man? It's a good reminder for us today, for everyone here this morning, everyone who's joining us online, even those who are going to watch this service uh, later this week. It's the spirit of God who knows your every thought. He knows everything. There's nothing you can hide this morning from the spirit of God. Imagine your thoughts over the last the last year, the last five years being compiled together, all of your thoughts, including your dark thoughts, uh, being compiled together and be 
put on a screen right here for everyone to see. It's a freaky thought, isn't it? It's the Spirit of God searches us. He knows everything about us. He knows all of our thoughts. It's the Spirit of God who convicts us. It's the Spirit of God who convicts us of our sin. He's the one who opens our hearts to see the sin that's in us. Not a preacher, not a teacher, not even a mentor. It's the Spirit who does that. And then, of course, the best part is that the Spirit is the one who enables us to overcome the sin. Did you hear me? That's not a real popular topic. We don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to think that we're called to overcome it, but we are. And it's the Spirit who enables us and empowers us to overcome sin. We are, as followers of Jesus Christ, to be victorious in our life battling sin. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps us do that. People struggle with sin sometimes allow that struggle to convince them that they can never overcome it. But you can't overcome it if you submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit alone gives power to overcome sin. That's why in Romans 8.13 it says, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Spirit alone can do that. We need the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. We need the Holy Spirit. You know, many times we hear the word... I. I we do this every week. If, you, if you're a part of New Heights Church, every week that you come here, we literally go through the word verse by verse. Very intentional about that. I want to make sure that you are getting the word. When We don't have uh, Sunday nights anymore. We don't have all these midweek services, Sunday school. We've lost all that. We need to get it back, amen? I won't get into that. That's for another day. We've lost those different times that we can communicate God's word, that we could come together. So when I get you here on a Sunday morning, I'm going to make sure you hear God's word. So a lot of times we'll come every single week, we'll hear the word. We see what it says every single Sunday morning as we gather. And then we wonder, or or we'll even wrestle as we walk out, how does this look in my life? How do I lead my family in the light of this? And I want you to know only the Holy Spirit can answer that question. I can't answer that. I want to help as much as I can. That's why I point you to God's word. But it's the Spirit of God who, who you need in order to apply it to your own life. The Holy Spirit. You know what else? Jesus gave the church a mission that honestly, from, from a logical point of view, looks absolutely impossible. I mean, how in the world are we going to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Make disciples in a world that's becoming more and more hostile towards our message. How are we going to do that? How are we as a church in Fairfield, Ohio, going to reach all the different cultures that are represented in our community and bring them together? How are we going to do that? Through the, through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to empower us for, for life and for claiming the gospel. It's through the Holy Spirit. You see, we're about to jump into the book of Acts and we're going to see a people who are desperate for the Holy Spirit. They wanted to see people come to know Jesus. They wanted to, to, to have people hear his message. They want to see co-workers. They want to see family members come to know Jesus. And all throughout Acts, we see a people that are desperate for the Spirit because they know that they need the power of the Spirit to share the gospel with people in a way that those people would respond. They knew they needed the power of the Holy Spirit, and so they were desperate for the Holy Spirit. If we want to see people come to Jesus, then we need to see, if we want to see family members come to Jesus, we have to be a people who, is, who are desperate for the Holy Spirit. So my question today is, are you desperate for the Holy Spirit? Are we as a church desperate for the Holy Spirit? 
And I think a good indicator of that, a good indicator of our desperation is prayer. Prayer is a good indicator of whether we are desperate for the Holy Spirit. And I, as your pastor, your spiritual leader, I set the tone for our spiritual direction. And, and I need a lead. I need to lead you in that direction. Lead us to become a people who cry out to God like we really need him. Like we're desperate. Have you ever been desperate for something? I remember my son, Asher, when we were missionaries, we came home for furlough and we were in Washington State uh, doing some itineration and I went to Safeway to buy some donuts. We call them maple bars in Washington. I think you guys call them long johns here. And I told him Washington's got the best maple bars. So I took him into Safeway and I had bought him some gummy worms and he began to choke on the gummy worm. And I was trained in, in CPR and knew what... or. Uh, doing the Heimlich maneuver. I knew how to do that. I worked in Alaska and I had to be trained for that. And so I took him and I remember I kept trying and I couldn't, couldn't get the gummy worm to come out. And I remember he started to turn purple and I remember he started to foam at his mouth and I got desperate. I was desperate because I thought my son is going to die if I can't get help. And you just do things when you're desperate. I screamed so loud for help. At that, so I screamed. I didn't care how silly I looked. I was desperate for somebody to help me with my son. Have you ever been desperate? Paul's saying you gotta be desperate for the Holy Spirit. Desperate for the Holy Spirit to move. Are we crying out to God in desperation? Leonard Ravenhill said this, revival tarries because there's a lack of urgency in prayer in the church. He went on and said, hell has nothing to fear but a God-anointed, prayer-powered church. My question today is, is hell afraid of New Heights Church? is hell afraid in New Heights Church. Samuel Chadwick puts it best. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing of prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. I don't care one bit if we as a church have these amazing programs, have an amazing facility, have this amazing structure and system. I mean, I hope we do all those things with excellence. I want to build a culture of excellence, but, but not at the expense of leaving prayer behind. And so this morning, I want us to pray. I want us to come aside from the routine, and I want us to be a church on our face before God in prayer, desperate for his spirit to do things that I just mentioned, to convict us of sin, to bring salvation in, in this room and in our families and in our circles of influence, to bring us to a place of deeper confession, to bring us to a place of desperation and hunger for God, to awaken us by a spirit out of our apathy and indifference that we so easily fall into, that God would be glorified in this building through us as his people, that New Heights Church would be a church known because God is glorified here. A place where people are healed, delivered from addiction, marriages are restored, forgiveness is experienced, and forgiveness is given. We say prayer doesn't, it's, it, it's not just what fuels the ministry, it is the ministry. We say it over and over and over, but do we mean it? And I'm taking full responsibility as your pastor. Do I mean it when I say that? Does our culture show that, that we, we believe that? It's a value that I got from a pastor by the name of J.D. Greer who pastors in North Carolina. He calls it a plumb line for his church. When I first heard him teach on it, I loved it so much. I said, we're gonna do that at our church. 
He said Solomon had built God's temple and during their first worship service, God's presence had come so near that the priests themselves couldn't even set foot in God's house. Now, I'm not sure what I would have done if I was there, if I saw God face to face in all his majesty. Not sure how I would have responded, but the Bible says how Solomon responded. It says Solomon prayed. He prayed. Solomon's prayer, it's recorded in 1 Kings 8. There's so much wisdom packed into this prayer. But there's one point I think we, we oftentimes overlook. And it's this, when Solomon says, They shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays towards this house. In other words, the foreigner was supposed to hear about this prayer-answering God and come to the temple and experience a prayer-answering God. Did you know that's the reputation that we're supposed to have in Jesus' name, in our community? All throughout Scripture, God presents answered prayer as a critical part of his people's witness. When Moses described to Israel what would distinguish them from every other nation on earth, he said that answered prayer would be the distinguishing mark. Deuteronomy 4, 7. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him? That's the distinguishing mark. Answered prayer. Not the most amazing music. Not the most incredible lights. Not the most amazing sound system. The most talented singers. Not even good preaching. Not even radical generosity. But answered prayer. Answered prayer. When Elijah wanted to demonstrate to Israel which God was the true God, what was the test? Let's see which one is is a prayer-answering God. That's what he said. Only God answered. (laughs) You know, the most amazing fact about Solomon's temple, it was only meant to be a shadow of a truer temple to come. Not a building filled with God's presence, but a person. And that that person was Jesus We see all the power of God's glory packed into a single human being. What God did for Israel through the temple, cleansing sins through the sacrifice of lambs, he would do for the world through Jesus, the true and better temple. And now we as believers were called by his name. We are Jesus' temple, called to intercede for the world as Jesus did, to testify to the same prayer-answering God that Solomon and Moses and Elijah knew. There's a story from the early church where the apostles were taking care of the needs of widows, but it was taking up all their, all their time, all their energy. And they asked for volunteers from the church to help them. These people became the first deacons. And so they did this so they could devote themselves to prayer and ministry of the word. Now, as a pastor, I'm to point you to the Bible. And I try to do that. I try to be faithful every week to point you to God's word. You don't need my opinion or my philosophy. You need God's word in your life. But what, but what, about, what about prayer? What about prayer? Because teaching the word is not all I'm supposed to do. What about prayer? We usually think of prayer as a part of the preparation for ministry of the word. But it's not written that way. Prayer doesn't just fuel the ministry. Prayer is the ministry. Prayer is the ministry. What if we saw prayer times at the end of our service, not just as if you've really been moved, if you've really been moved, here's a relief valve, but as one of the primary ministries of our church. What if prayer was the most important part of any worship experience that we do here at New Heights Church? Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, not a house of preaching, 
Is that, is that how somebody would describe our church, New Heights Church? Is this a house of prayer? Man, we put all kinds of energy into all kinds of stuff here at our church. But God has convicted me that if we don't put the same amount of energy into everything else we do, he's not going to move. I want New Heights Church to be known as praying people. I want Cincinnati and the world to hear about our answers, our answered prayer like Solomon promised they would. I'm not telling you, you can't force God to answer your prayers, but I can guarantee this, he's not going to answer your prayers if you aren't praying them. Are we out praying for people, for our unbelieving neighbors, for our family, for our coworkers, for, for the server at Starbucks? Are we praying for them? I get it. People are going to be resistant to hearing the gospel, but they are far more receptive to having you pray for them. So ask, how can you pray for them? Listen to what they say and then, and, and then do it. You know, two weeks ago, I was out with a couple from our church. Well, yeah, I won't, I won't say their name because I don't want to embarrass them. But incredible couple. We love them to death. And I was so encouraged because right in the middle of our, our lunch, this, the, the server who had a, a, a limp was walking. She looked like she was in pain. And our friend asked, you look like you're in pain. Can I pray for you? right there in the middle of lunch, right there in the middle of the restaurant, used by the Holy Spirit to minister to this server. Incredible. Really incredible. So ask, how can you pray? How can you pray for people? Did you know at no point in Jesus' ministry was he more furious than when Israel had obscured the prayer ministry that was supposed to reach the Gentiles? Go look it up for yourself. Go look up Luke chapter 19, verse 46. Have we obscured that here at New Heights Church? Because if we have, we don't have to wait on a cloud to descend from heaven. We can join with Solomon today, right now, and say, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. I can't think of a better way to close the service today than by praying. By praying. Are we desperate for the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to do something that's a little out of my comfort zone, and I'm going to do an invitation to come up to the altar and to pray. Now, you can pray in your seat. That's okay, too. But I'm telling you, there's something that's powerful when we respond to the Holy Spirit. You look through all of the Bible, Jesus constantly is giving these invitations. It's not like there's, there's, it's a step A plus step B, and then you're going to get this. But Jesus is constantly extending an invitation. He's constantly reaching out his hand. There, there were times where he was ministering to people and he would extend an invitation and it was the faith of the person that would accept the invitation and then all of a sudden we saw the Holy Spirit move. I want to extend an invitation to the altar. There's power when we pray together. But we're going to close today's sermon, service, sorry. That was kind of a sermon. (laughs) We're going to close today by praying. And I want to challenge you to be intentional during the 21 days of prayer and fasting, I want to challenge you. You don't have to fast for 21 days without any food at all. There's something that you can fast. For 21 days, I want you to be intentional about seeking God. I want you to be desperate for the Holy Spirit. I've heard pastors say this all my life. It's not just rhetoric to me. I believe that God is going to do something in the year 2023 here at New Heights Church. I believe that the Holy Spirit's about to break loose. I believe that we're we're going to become a people desperate for the Holy Spirit. And I believe God is going to be glorified in this church and in the lives of those who attended. Amen? So as the worship team closes, 
close this out. They lead us in worship. I am inviting everybody who, this is not a salvation call. This is everybody who just wants to see the power of the Holy Spirit move in their lives, in their families, uh, whatever you're facing. You just, you just want to see the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm extending an invitation to you today. We're going to pray at the altar. And when we're done, they're going to dismiss us. You are dismissed at, at noon. Don't feel like you have to stay. But I want to make sure that we have 20 minutes where we just seek the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for being a God that answers prayer. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us the power and the boldness to live out the life you've called us to live, to fulfill the mission you've called us to fulfill. And God, I am praying for a breakthrough. God, I am lifting up all the needs in this place to you. There are some big, big needs. I'm praying for marriages to be restored, for relationships to be restored. I'm praying for people to be delivered from addictions. I am praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. Bring us to a place where we're desperate for you. We're desperate to see you glorified in our families, in our life, in our church, and in our community. We want to see a move of the Holy Spirit. We recognize we cannot do this alone. What you've called us to do, we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We realize that today. And we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.